right, welcome back to another episode of the Busted Header Podcast. This is, I think, take five now. Uh, we are both having some serious audio issues, but hopefully both? we get it all cleared up. Both? Uh, the last one I'm push- putting partially onto you. Uh, I couldn't hear anything on your end. Yeah, I, I stood here and, di- and, and talked, and you looked like an idiot, which isn't any different than normal, but you couldn't hear me as well. <laughs> that seems like a you problem. I'm- I would say it was the most enjoyable time of my life. I could see you talking, and I couldn't hear a single thing. It was <laughs> bliss, pure bliss. All right, I am Chris, a.k.a. Not the Fake Webby. I am joined by Hal, a.k.a. Halbridius, a.k.a. Jake. All right, uh, we haven't potted in a little while. I think we skipped yeah, a week. We, uh, we didn't miss a, a week for the Thanksgiving holiday. And, as we were both and it turned moving about the state. It it turns out that it was a crazy week. Um, it really was. <laughs> um, we we saw the like the Jamaican Hulk like try and break lebron james in half shall we start there yeah we definitely (laughs) have to start there i mean (laughs) there's no two ways around it (laughs) i that remains like post malice what else has come close to that i mean i'm sure there's definitely you know things that have happened in the nba that we forget about um, like I'm, th- I'm trying to think of like you, re- you remember the like police presence called Clippers in yes. the locker. Like that was all fake bullshit. Police, Chris Paul is trying to beat me up, right? But like that was all fake nonsense. Hey, they're in the tunnels. Like, like you know, or the Heat earlier this year when uh, uh, was it the Heat in the Nuggets or the who who was it? Yeah, with Heat the, in the Nuggets. Yep. Where where yep, Jokic pushed somebody? Jokic and uh, Morris. Was it? I think it was Marcus. Yeah, because he's yeah, he's still that. out. But like, you know, all of that. None of them involved Isaiah Stewart bleeding profusely from the face, like trucking his own first round pick to try and get back at something. Like, there was a lot. I mean, there's been a lot of hold me backs over the years. There's been the NBA. You will see a lot of times where guys will get upset for about a split second, and then they're like, "Wait a minute." Like, I am a professional. I can't actually like, do anything. Serge Hold ba- me back. Serge Ibaka has like tried to throw a punch a couple times. Like there have been. Serge Ibaka has thrown a punch. Right, a there have times, been some missed. absolutely <laughs> wild things. None of them have been quite as stark as Isaiah Stewart trying three different times to like truck an entire team and staff to get to somebody. That was incredibly and wild. Not just somebody. LeBron. <laughs> LeBron James. First and off, maybe and Russell also, Westbrook. I'm, I'm still maybe not Russell sure. Westbrook. <laughs> The fighting Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, who went full Irish boxer. <laughs> he put the Dukes up, literally. Looking Raphael but, out here. <laughs> but definitely the MVP of the fight had to be Cade, who saw it all coming. And went, like, full... He tried to do everything in his power Look, to be like, Stu, no. <laughs> excellent basketball player. Great teammate. Yep. Terrible left tackle. <laughs> just, Just got... <laughs> Well, he he was like the receiving tight end who gets put into block against like Aaron Donald. That's what that looked like. Just like chip him, just, man. Just chip him, and you you didn't chip him. Nope, it did not help. Got blown out the line. That's that's what it looked like a little bit. But he gave an effort, and he knew what was about to happen. He, you could that's that is someone who has court vision right there. He saw what was about to go right, down. Yes, yes. The 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 <laughs> mind worked just fine. He's just about sixty pounds too light to do what he was trying to do. Put him in Bill Belichick's workout system, and I'm sure he'll be just fine in a couple of years. Um, all right, so let's move on to some of the other news here real quick. While we were gone, Killian sat a few games to try and get that thumb right. Uh, he is mm-hmm. back now. I still don't think he's 100%, but uh, nope. hopefully he's just he's not like in constant pain. You know, uh, I think he missed 
four games total? He missed... He was out for the first Lakers game and came back for the second one. I think, I think, I think he missed four, nights, I think. but um, I don't feel like checking. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so that was that. Uh, also, while we were gone, uh, Michigan beat Ohio State, which feels pretty fucking great. I'm still basking. Uh, MSU beats uh, Penn State pretty good. In the blizzard. In the blizzard Oh, game. that was a freezing game to go to, but so enjoyable. Oh, that's what right. You end. were there at that game. Yes, I was. I uh, I, I watched was icicle. I watched Michigan get their first win over Ohio State in a decade on my grandmother's couch in a room full of like thirteen people. And by the way, the room we're in is like the size of my bedroom. Like it's tiny. It's tiny. Yeah. And we're we're all packed in, and it's my dad and I like craning our heads around everyone to like try and follow this game. No one else in this room cares at all. They're all, they're, <laughs> no all there's like four Spartans fans there who really aren't into college athletics anyway, but they're wearing Spartans gear just to tick us off. And like my grandma who just hates football and like, that's it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, uh, it's just a lot of high fives. And, uh, like uh, it was an interesting experience. Let me tell you. Uh, yep. Do you want to talk about the college basketball teams? Because MSU has looked a little, a little interesting this year. Yeah, I kind of like what they've had. A I, couple different I games. Still I, I still don't trust Marcus Bingham at all, but uh, I will say I a- love Marcus Bingham. AJ Hogger has, uh, has stepped up in a big way. I, I like what he's done so far to start this year. He's looked good. Um, Aikens, the new freshman kind of point guard, wing guard. He's like I don't think I've seen six four at point guard. He didn't. He played in the. He was in the last game against Baylor and had a couple of really good plays. See, the so Baylor game I missed. Like, so, which yeah, is too bad. We looked. Not the. It was the same thing. If you watch the Kansas game, it was kind of like a, a redo of that. A team we played them close the entire first half, and they just had just one run in the second where they just pulled away, and we just couldn't make it back. Just but, a team where it's really uh, obvious that your best player is like supposed to be Marcus Bingham. <laughs> I mean, the best player is definitely Gabe Brown. It's far away, <laughs> Gabe Brown. Well, like it's not the way that uh, Izzo coaches. That's that's been my big frustration with MSU the last couple of years. Is he still tries to be like a team built around his big men? It's like, wait, no, no, I mean, Tom, no, stop. <laughs> I wouldn't say so. I'd say since Miles Bridges has been here, it's still been all about the wing, whether it's Bridges, Henry, or now Brown. We've had a lot of our offense. Y'all go through throw the wing. that Obviously ball with, into Marcus Bingham there, in the different. post like twelve times a game, and it's just a I, wild <laughs> coaching decision to me. I don't think we're throwing it to Marcus Bingham twelve times a game. I'm pretty confident about that. Uh, the the <laughs> he definitely gets too many posts. The up, Kansas but game, not... like he took like six straight fadeaways. So it was every single time. It was like, what are you doing? Yeah, and the Kansas game was a little bit different. He was kind of feeling himself. And that was a team that was still trying to figure out who plays where. I don't know. Tyson Walker's been the big question mark. He still hasn't quite shown why he was so highly regarded. But other than that, I think there's been a lot of really good players. Also, I still just, like Max Christie. We, he hasn't had a great start efficiency-wise, yeah. but I still think he looks really good. He has just struggled with his shot ever since the Butler game. So I'll, I'll give him time. The one person that, you know, we went down, we played in the Bahamas. Very nice time, very nice vacation mm-hmm. um, in Atlantis. I was kind of hoping that Joey Hauser would, like, just... Find a girlfriend, just never leave. Yeah, because he's been brutal this year. Yeah, kind of where he left off last year. Just, I just doesn't seem to have it. I don't really get what happened to him, but it's bad. It's he's bad. like Benjamin Button. He's basketball aging backwards. <laughs> and his brother, I think, has been doing okay at. Uh, well, is it Virginia? Virginia yeah. I think he's doing. He's, That's where I knew he transferred. He's to. playing I all right. I so haven't. It's, I don't it's, you, you guys got the worst Hauser brother, pretty clearly. I think. Oh yeah. Which I think was known at the time, but it was like ours was younger, so that was the hope. Yeah, well, but he didn't turn out. Yeah, Michigan's doing all right. They've had a couple of bad losses, but like they were bad losses to teams that were like Arizona isn't a nationally ranked team because they didn't get the hype because they lost. Uh, uh, who's the coach? Um, 
Um, One of the Miller brothers, uh, Sean. Yep. Right, Sean Miller. So I think they were like yeah. underrated, and then they came out and was like, "Oh right, uh, they've got like good recruited talent and a bunch of big men that are really good, and just like, like there will not be many teams outside of Purdue where Michigan goes up against teams that are like convincingly bigger than them, but that was one of them. <laughs> and then there was the what yep. was it the uh, Seton Hall Seton Hall game, which was just another one where it was like this team is gigantic and senior and I don't know. Yep. As soon as Both as soon as we games. saw Devontae Jones the first time and realized that he was not good, <laughs> it was like, oh, right. Yep. So, yeah, this team is not going to be what they hoped right away. I still think they can be, like, a good, like, 3-4 seed by the end of the year, but there's going to be more yeah, bumps along gonna the road be, early on. There's going to be a lot of uh, good teams in the Big Ten, and then there's going to be Purdue. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be, like, a mile ahead of them all. At least My Illinois looks just, weird still. Yeah, as always. My sister's a freshman at Purdue, though, and I am hearing it big time from her already. <laughs> <laughs> really? Kate, Katie's in the, the basketball smack talk already? Oh, yeah. After, after I mean, years played... of her loyalty to MSU, she's already talking smack? That that didn't she take long. She's still wearing MSU clothes when she comes home every once okay, in a while. Okay, okay. I was about to say, doesn't she know, like, everyone on the MSU women's team? Like, <laughs> Yeah, she, she went to every single game. She knows the entire team up and down, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, conflict of interest. I don't trust it. A little bit. Column A, column B. You know, got a couple teams. All right. oh, yeah, big big games tonight for both MSU hosts Louisville, and we hope to be done recording in time to see the tip off. You will not. And then Michigan goes to North Carolina. The way this is going, we're not we're missing the whole first half. Yeah, so let's continue on. Yeah. All right. So, um, some quick things from recent games here, just to to make note of them. Uh, Frank's back finally. Like just shots fallen a few <laughs> times. He seems to be taking better shots. Uh, he's had a couple of his knives to the rim. Um, mm-hmm. Generally looks a little more active defensively. I mean, I still don't think he's a good defender, but like, just in general, thing things are falling into place. He's like pretty clearly the most effective bench player they've got right now. I'm trying yeah, to think. He's, he's trying to look like the. He's trying to look like the microwave scorer that we were hoping that he would be. Yep. I think they're. I don't know who else would be contending with him, coming off the bench for lead scorer like Josh Jackson maybe. Well, even like I'm not even trying to think. I'm just trying to think like who's been more effective, and like I don't think there's anyone who's been maybe Trey Lyles, which is gross to say, but that's how desperate we are Ah, for like anyone to be over six eight right now. Um, Yeah. So desperate to find something like that. So that's nice to see. Um, I guess we should mention that uh, Trey Lyles has become the Kelly Olynyk replacement. My notes here say Luca Garza became the Kelly Olynyk replacement because they're old. And uh, that experiment yeah. did not last long. Uh, about three games into that, <laughs> yep. I think it was like, okay, this is not going to work. Uh, I got yelled at multiple times by Luca Garza fans on Twitter for posting only lowlights. And that's because there were only lowlights to post. And uh, yeah, we'll, we're going to talk a little bit more about, about what Luca Garza looks like here coming up. But uh, it's been Trey Lyles recently. Pistons going like super uh, small with like Lyles at the five. And sometimes like it's Hami mm-hmm. at the four. And just trying to run and about. do some weird zoning stuff. And it's been interesting. I, I think it's probably been the best solution we could have asked for. The bench still looks like ass, but that's mostly because it's about as unimaginative as a bench can get, <laughs> uh, offensively yeah. at least. But um, and I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Kojo led minutes there as yeah, well. Yeah, I will say like which. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Side tangent, Kojo, once a game. Just has the most ungodly play. He always has like one like amazing drive or, where he cuts past three people, or in the Heat game where he threw the like insane straight up layup. Like once a game recently. I don't know if oh, you're talking about like an ungodly good play. 
Yeah, like an ungodly like it's like I was gonna say, I was gonna say there's like one there's amazing at least play. three plays a game where he where you go, What the flying fuck, Kojo, oh, have yeah. you done? Like uh, But we've gotten accustomed to that. I don't know if it's just I've been watching him more with more baited eyes, but I feel like he's good for like one stupid I mean, layup or one like weird I, I drive. Being like Kojo's a good person to like have on the team because Kojo has been good well, in yes. the past. Like outside of the one year in Sacramento before he came here and outside of like this year, he's been a good player. He's got a ring. Like he Kojo's supposed to be good. Yep. Which is why he's, Kojo driving into four he was defenders in Toronto, and turning he was it in over San is crazy. Antonio. Like, yeah, he's he's definitely been on some good teams and he's I mean he was he was a legitimate like threat for the Pacers for a while, right? Like he mm-hmm. there was like a long yeah. stretch where it was like, God damn it, Kojo's just roasting us. Why is Kojo roasting us? But he was roasting us. And now and, until he's he got terrible. on the Kings. Until he got on the Kings. Like he was good. He was like a, a pretty good like off the bench point guard. And he was good to end last and then year. The Kings like he was him. he was noticeably better than yeah, DeLon was Wright was last year. And that's why it looks so wild that he's trash now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the the other the other guy we got to talk about being trash right now. It's it's, it's it. It, this one this one Sadiq has been terrible um, of late. Uh defensively still damn. doing okay, but I what are you seeing from him? Just in terms of, of I, I don't know, just in terms of his his play, because there are so many like red flag moments that are just kind of insane to me. I mean, with Sadiq, there, I mean, that's a whole laundry list of things, I would say. Most, like, notably that I've seen, I feel like he doesn't ever seem to be comfortable in his shot. I feel like the shots that he makes are the ones where he's just wide open and gets the ball for like a like a side-out three or something like that. But I, I see him too often try and play make and do stuff that he's done in the past and I know he can do and just gets in a difficult position. And it leads to him just either throwing a just a wild pass or putting up a shot that is not going to go in. I would say he, he, to me, feels like a player who is at his comfort zone, kind of like in the same way as Jeremy, where he can he can go to work in the corners, get to the block, get a pull-up shot. That's where he should. That's where he's in his like comfort zone. This year, it does not seem like he's getting anywhere near that, and it's been frustrating because of how much growth we, you know, we felt like we saw in the preseason, um, in you know summer league, how well he played last year. You know, you expect it to continue on, but it's not been the case so far. And oh, I want, I still want to write it off to just kind of like a sophomore slump. We talked about the issues with the, you know they, them changing the ball. It makes players a lot more uncomfortable on the floor. So I don't, I still don't, I mean, we're 20 games into the season. I don't want to read, I don't want to ignore it, but I don't want to read into it too much as well. Because I still feel like in terms of his, you know, fundamentals, what makes him the player that he is, I still like him as a basketball player. And players like him that are young, that are still learning how to play at an NBA level, you know the, the opposing teams have gotten a little more film on him, know where he wants to get to, and they're going to make it a lot tougher. So, like, it, it's not incredibly surprising that he's had uh, regression from where he was at last year, but I still expect him with the work ethic that he's shown, with you know the skills that he has, that he'll get through it eventually. It may take some time. It may be something where he just has a rough year this year, but that's why he's young. He's in the second year in the league. He'll have time. Yeah, I think one of the things that's very noticeable is he's like changed his shot, and I think he's yeah, done some very stuff much where so. like he's doing Do the thing he... like Stanley Johnson did, where like he changed his shot, but he's going back to the old shot, and then he's trying to stick with the new, and like that's definitely going to cause some variance. But this last game um, uh, against Portland, sorry, I blanked. Mm-hmm. It took me a second. Uh, the last game, like, 
the game started with him getting like three wide open looks and swinging it to someone who was less wide open. And that's mm-hmm. not okay. Like he last year was a guy where you were like, damn Sadiq, like maybe you shouldn't have shot that. And this year you're like, Sadiq, <laughs> we need to be getting up like three of these looks that you're passing up. And mm-hmm. he ended up with like five assists because of it. But he like, it's bad process. You know, it's, it's good results, mm-hmm. bad process. And um, it's not, usual that we say the bad process is not taking a shot usually bad process is the guys like jeremy who take too many shots but uh this this has been bad process and it's getting to the point where i think people are starting to like not respect him as much like i think there's some there's some people who are noticing that he's not shooting like he's not getting some of the closeouts he was getting last year um Mm -hmm. and that's concerning to me i also think he's just fallen in love with shots he can't make like the mid-range stuff where he's posting up and bouncing, you know, trying to back guys to like, that's not your shot. It just isn't. And this is Mm -hmm. one of those things where we got, you know, I got a lot of flack um, talking about it in summer league. He was trying all this crap and I was like, guys, this is not good basketball and it's just continued and it continues to be not good basketball. Um. I don't know. I'm, and I mean, I'm some concerned. Are, I'm... Some of it's fine when you're playing against summer league competition. You're trying to do different things and whatnot. But when it's still the case in the NBA, you're not going to be able to get away with the stuff that you're doing there and just overpowering people. And I'm. it's kind of unfortunate that the Pistons really don't have good alternatives for him because if this was, you know, if he was on a good team, I think he'd be getting some get-right minutes in the G League right now. I, I, I think he's been almost unplayably bad in multiple games so far. Um and and yeah. there there are times where it's like wow the offense looks so much better with Hami on the floor, yeah. and like that's Hami Which, like it's like you know just or Josh like guys who are not supposed to be as good, but uh, you know the Portland game at least he was moving the ball you know he was scared and moving the ball but the games where he tries to shoot himself out of this are almost worse, so mm-hmm. I don't know uh, it looks pretty ugly and I you know we're gonna talk a little bit about what some of the guys can do to to you know help the team and. and be more impactful. Sadiq just has to be Sadiq. And right now I don't, he can't like he's, he's scared to be Sadiq. And that's just, I don't know how you get, get him out of that. I mean, it, I think it's just somewhere it's going to take time. He's if, like, if he was playing like this, just coming into the league, I think everyone would not be batting an eye at all, but it's something that, I mean, it's a sophomore slump. I, that's all I think it is. And I think it's something where the more he gets, you know, the more he kind of gets the opportunity to work through it and get used to playing with, you know, uh, a Cade Cunningham or even a Killian Hayes who he hasn't spent much time with, I think it'll be better. I think I think he's just... It's just not in the flow of the offense and he's not looking right. I'll give him a little bit of time. I mean, I would hate to say... I would hate to see that, you know, the change in the jumper that he was working on this offseason leads to uh, such a regression. And especially with the jump shots, it's always, it's always interesting how it can work out, so... We'll see. I mean, I, I think how, if, I think if they around. if they said that they're going to bring Isaiah Livers up from the G League and send Sadiq Bay down for a game or two, would you be like offended by that? At this point, I mean, I wouldn't be offended at all. I would, if it's if it <laughs> that's what it takes for him to get right to get to play some lesser competition. You know, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, I my my question would be: Would he be offended by that? Someone I don't know. I, I don't know if he'd accept that or not. Exactly. And I think he is, 
the kind of guy who wants to be better. He wants to work hard. He wants to get do all the right things. So I could see him being, I could see him of all people being accepting of that. But at the same time, you never quite know, <laughs> and it could be something that could spiral it out of control. So, all right, um, let's move on here to some wider ranging topics. Um, I want to start with with defense versus offense. Um, the Pistons are really bad at both right now. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you could say that. What was I, I? I found a stat um when I was getting ready for the episode. Uh, the Pistons have the worst free throw or field goal percentage in the league, while at the same time allowing the highest opponent field goal percentage in the league. They're pretty shit. Yeah, that that is bad. That is bad. Bad. <laughs> yeah, they're the like it's actually surprisingly shocking that the Rockets like aren't like have have won less games like. Yeah, the the Pistons are playing about as bad as they can get. So one of the questions I had for you, how much do you think this is? I, for me personally, I don't feel like they're as bad on defense as the numbers, and so I'm just wondering for you, um, you know, how much do you think being terrible on offense is affecting their defense? I think it is a hundred percent affecting how bad and how how bad they've been offensively has led directly to how much worse they're being defensive. Because if you look at them at an individual level and you watch a lot of the you know their games, you can see a lot of opp- a lot of chances where they're making great defensive plays, whether it's getting in the middle of a passing lane, good help defense down low. Like you've seen a lot of good things in regards to their defense. But at the same time, when you're missing all these shots and allowing for a lot of uh, defensive rebounds um, from the opposing team and allowing them to get on the fast break, which I don't have the exact numbers in front of me at the moment, but I'm sure it's not good. Um, <laughs> as well as producing a pretty good amount of a pretty good amount of turnovers as well you're allowing them to get a lot more easy buckets and a lot more especially in transition a lot more layups a lot more dunks so for me i think it's the pistons are the pistons are not good on defense they're still i would say probably like i would you say would you say oh i was just gonna say would you say they're bottom third middle third or, or upper third defensively I think they're still bottom third, but I think they're at the top end of that in terms of defensive teams. However, when they're playing with such a bad offense, especially with the amount of missed shots that we've had, it makes it that much harder um, on the defensive end to keep a team that's you know moving at a fast break, getting down the floor, and getting a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> We're finally talking about a fast break that isn't how bad the Pistons are running it. Because, my God, I think it was the Clippers game I was watching, and there was another one where it's like, we're, we're running down the floor for a fast break in... I think it was Sadiq was like right behind Kojo. Yep. I'm like, just go, yep. go around him. Ugh. So we're, not, we're we're done talking about that. We've talked enough about the the bad transition. Well, so so here's here's some interesting numbers for you. Um, the Pistons have uh, a 96.4 half court uh, defensive rating according to Cleaning the Glass. 96.4 is 27th in the league. That's very bad for half court defense. Yeah. But they also have an 82.4 half-court offensive rating. The worst in the league oh, boy. by That's almost two full points. Uh, just for reference, Brooklyn is the best half-court offense, not just general offense, because the best offense in the league is Utah at 117, but the best half-court offense in the league is Brooklyn at 100.3, and Golden Check State out. as well at 100.3. So the Pistons are uh, basically 18 points worse in the half-court than you know the best teams. Uh, and just for reference, the, the midpoint is 93.2, uh, 93.1 for the Clippers. So the Pistons are almost 10 points. They're nine points worse than the median team in the half court. Um, 
And just to give you the transition numbers, since you brought that up, let me pull them up. Again, this is all from cleaning the glass stuff. Uh, currently, the Pistons are uh, points per play. Where are we at? Uh, Dallas, uh, Detroit. So the Pistons are actually 15th in points per play from uh, all transition. Um, but they're 26th in frequency offensively. So they're not, so like they're, even though they've improved at this point, um, efficiency wise, and that's largely been Cade is just way better at, uh, at that. They're still terrible (laughs) in transition because of it. Now their transition defense is all right. They only give up, um, uh, where's, I just lost them. They're on the page. Come on. Uh, Detroit. So they only give up um the sixth worst points per play and they only uh in transition but they give up the 23rd most uh transition plays in part because of the turnover stuff so like mm-hmm. to me this all speaks very clearly to like the pistons are biting themselves in the in the ass they're shooting themselves in the foot by mm-hmm. but, just yeah. being so bad in the half court you know it saps mm-hmm. your energy you're turning the ball over too much you know, you're a good transition defensive team, except you allow it to happen way too often. You're not getting out and running yourself. Um, you know, it just seems like the low-hanging fruit there is killing us. And it, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where, like, part of it is also, we've talked about this before, the rebounding is terrible. Yep. Like, this is something I don't want to rag on Sadiq too much longer, but in the Portland game, I think there were four different plays where Sadiq's man just got aboard because Sadiq didn't find a body, like, at all. Just, like, he was standing, you know, about eight feet away from the rim doing that thing where he, like, watches the ball. And, um, oh, it was definitely the Lakers game. Russell Westbrook picked on him, like, four times. Yeah. Just, yep. like, swiped from behind him a good four times just by himself. And it was just, like, you have to find a body. This We can't keep doing this where, you know, we're not – doing the basics because the basics are literally all you've got right now. You, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't have anything but the basics. Um, so that's pretty frustrating. You got anything else you want to add on that? Nope. I got it most in the intro there. <laughs> all right. Um, we covered, let's see. So Jeremy Grant, also another one, box outs, box outs, box outs, um, mm-hmm. smarter transition play. That was, that was another topic on the list. Let's just skip through that. Um, so let's talk quick about Isaiah Stewart here. Um, so a lot of talk about him being a shooter and, um, I actually want to talk about a little bit about like what are game reps versus what are gym reps and how that Mm -hmm. affects your development. Because a lot of people I I see complaining about like, he's not taking threes in game. (laughs) I don't care. Yeah, I don't want like, to shoot the threes I, in the game. Like he's a, he's a bad three point shooter. He was bad last year. We talked about this. He was a low volume guy. He didn't even uptick his volume to like one a game until later in the season. It, he went like fifteen games with like two three point shots, and they were both heaves to start last year. Like he's not a three point shooter, um, and and his shot doesn't work. Now he's made some very dramatic changes to his shot, and that shows some shots, and it doesn't show others. And much like Sadiq, I think he's caught a little bit in two worlds there. Um, I actually do like quite a bit some of the stuff that he shows when he shows kind of the new form um but he's got a long way to go and the thing is like those are not things you rep in game right <laughs> like an elite uh, j- just for shits and giggles here i'm gonna pull up steph curry's uh oh, steph curry's thing steph curry uh steph curry has taken a grand total of six thousand eight hundred three-point attempts in his nba career 
right? That's the okay. highest volume, craziest, best shooter of all time. That is nothing, right? From 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 a, a, a practice rep standpoint, you should be taking that, you know, in a year, right? You should be taking, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I honestly, I don't have a good frame of reference for how many you take in a practice or whatnot, but like, if you take 100 in a practice, you know, 300 and like, you might take 3,000 of them a year if you're, if you're mm-hmm. practicing three-point shots. Like, you, we shouldn't be, um, you know, when we talk about he shot, I think, 60 last year in um, the season. Like, it's nothing. If he takes 120 this year in a game, it's still nothing if he's not making it, right? And, and I've seen a lot of people saying, well, Stu's not affecting the offense, right? And so if he shoots, even if he misses, if he's pulling the trigger and he's shooting, he'll help the offense. He will not. <laughs> right? Like, no, that was you, not at all. You, you don't get shooter's gravity until you are a legitimate shooter. If, you know, if defenses are like, hmm, do I want to have Cade one versus one against my big man? Or uh, do I want to just help out and maybe Stewart shoots 28% from me on pop threes? They'll let Stewart shoot the 28% on pop threes. It's not a question. Like, yeah. <laughs> so... You know, we talk about this same thing with Sadiq Bey's shot. Like, Sadiq Bey is a good shooter who does need to put shots up in large part because I think he's got more of a confidence issue than anything else right now. But, like, mm-hmm. he's not going to learn to shoot, and he's not going to learn this new form in the game. Right? The, those yep. are not That's game practice. reps. Those are practice reps. Right? Um, functional, uh, not functional, but uh, mechanical uh, improvements are practice reps. And for the most part, those are reps that you improve in the off season, right? These guys do not improve that stuff. Typically during the season, you don't have enough time. You have to spend too much time recovering from games. It's just not, it's just not a feasible thing to expect mechanical improvements in players. Now, what you do get is process improvements, right? We never expected, uh, uh, Seku Dumboya to become a, a better shooter in the middle of a season, right? Yeah. What we hoped was that he would learn, you know, the right places to be on the floor, right? This is when I should cut. This is when I shouldn't, right? You hoped that guys like him learned, you know, defensively where to be. That they would, you know, the things that you can improve from a game rep standpoint is Isaiah Stewart can learn how to be a better defender, right? Defense is mostly Mm -hmm. about reps. It's mostly about learning where guys are going to be. It's mostly about getting into an individual matchup for the first time and being like, oh, it turns out this guy loves the left to right crossover. Right, I saw it on film, but I didn't really see it until I played him. That's the kind of stuff that those processing things need to happen, and that's why we really want to see guys like Killian and Cade handling the ball, right? Because yeah. they need to solve problems as often as possible. Making a, a corner skip in practice is a is a mechanical thing, right? It's this is how the ball feels in my hands. This is how the gather works. I'm gonna hook it over my shoulder. You know, I'm. Oh, it turns out maybe I don't have the flexibility to do that. You learn some new angles and stuff. You're not solving the problem. Right? You have to solve the problem in a game because the yeah. game's the only... It's not a problem in practice. There's no risk. And if there's yeah. a risk, then maybe your coach should stop hitting you so hard. Or like, I would say, yeah, the risk is the coach yelling at you. But So it's just one of those things where, like, what people should be expecting midseason is not what I think a lot of... Like, a lot of people are like, oh, Killian, I hope he becomes, like, this 40% three-point shooter this year. And it's like, why would we expect that? Right. I hope Stewart becomes mm-hmm. a good three point. No, why would you expect that? Right. Yeah. I hope it. I wish it could happen. I, I, don't I wish, it to happen, but we can't expect that because it's not. It's not what you're repping. It's not. It's not the. It's not what you have time to develop. It's not the kind of development environment you're in during a season. So, mm-hmm. with that in mind, going back to Stewart specifically, 
you know, what are things that you think he can improve on, you know, process wise, both to improve himself and to fit better, you know, with the team? What are things that you think he can he can work on? Well, I think a lot of it boils down, um, especially in the NBA, you got to play to your strengths. And what would you say is Isaiah Stewart's greatest strength on the offensive side of the floor? That boy is wide. <laughs> he is very wide. That's and wide, it works out in a couple different ways. One is is in terms of setting screens. So making sure that he is comfortable getting into the right spot, setting great screens, getting our playmakers like Cade, like a Jeremy Grant, like a Killian Hayes, and like a Sadiq Bay open so they can get the shot that they want or you know get open to continue the offense. The second part of that of being wide is down low in the post getting offensive rebounds, which I think is his biggest asset uh, to this team. It's been him on the offensive class. I know last year I talked about some of the stats for, that showed how great he was on the offensive board, and I think he is still showing those same exact things. I think he has every tool in the arsenal to be a top you know, 10, top 5 offensive rebounder in the league. I know it's something that's not as uh, thought of as this great thing in the modern NBA, but it's still something that's very important when you have the one big guy, especially with a team with a you know a Jeremy Grant, with uh, some of our other wings that don't that aren't as great at rebounding the basketball. Getting those extra possessions when you're on a bad basketball team is nice and is very good to continue the offense and get used to it. So some of the things I'd like is just for him to get comfortable setting that screen, getting to the basket, getting around his guys so that you know when Cade takes a pull up uh, fadeaway that he's able to get there and get the rebound and get another possession. That's just, I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but that's something that I like um, in, a, in a center is being able to get an offensive rebound, get another possession, especially in big games and crunch time. Getting that extra chance to get a basket is so important. And I think it's something that could be something that he's already shown the ability to do and something that he can continue to improve on and get better at. So I don't I don't think, I think top five is a little lofty in terms of offensive rebounding. Like he's, I'm he, trying to be you know, optimistic. Um, definitely it's a thing he can bring. You know, one of the things for me, um, I think there is just some, like, chemistry issues with him screening. Like, uh, there was a play, I can't remember if it was last night, against Portland or against the Lakers, um, where Cade uh, and him are setting up a pick and roll, and Cade goes to the right first. I, I'm pretty sure it was Portland. And Cade goes to the yeah. right, and he screens for the right, but then Cade kind of, like, fakes it and goes to reject. And Stu, like, tries to flip around and rescreen and just, like, isn't there in time. Um, and Cade ends up having to like boomerang pass out and get it back. And then I think he gets a good drive to the rim. And it's just like things like that where it's like, okay, part of it's on Cade for going too soon. Part of it's on Stewart for not really being able to read the floor. Like just um, getting a little smarter about which angles you think guys want to take. You know, most like Cade really wants to get to the middle of the floor, for example. He doesn't want to beat guys' mm -hmm. baseline. So, you know, can you set him up to get to the middle of the floor, right? Making better contact. Uh, you know, I hate myself for saying this, but learn how to cheat. Like, last night in Portland, Cody Zeller, uh, Killian does this thing. He doesn't, uh, he has pretty good uh, ability to get around screens, except that he doesn't get his right arm ahead of screeners. Um, he's, he's okay with his left. He's really bad with his right. Um, you're taught, basically, you want to get your, your inside foot needs to get over the screener's leg so that you can... Um, so you can get wiggle around him and bend around him at the waist. You don't want to get caught on your hip, but you also need to get your right or your, your inside shoulder past the guy as well. And typically you do that by sticking your arm past him, like in his armpit and slithering over. Yeah. And Killian tends to just kind of attack with the shoulder and leave his right arm trailing behind. Every single play, uh, Cody Zeller just trapped the arm. And I know at least once I clipped it uh, in the game thread for that one, 
where Killian got a foul because he was being held. Like he just he just the, the ref was just like ah that's a foul and called it on and it makes no sense. Refs are really fucking stupid when it comes to screening fouls. They I don't think they ever get any of them correct. Uh, no. Half the time they call a moving screen. It's actually just uh, a revenge call for a rebounding foul on the other end, which is so dumb to me. Uh, it's just it's just it's, you're like oh why why is that and then I rewind twenty seconds like oh he got pushed on the rebound and was cussing the ref out up on the floor, uh, <laughs> but so like Isaiah Stewart learn how to cheat like like get a little yeah. nasty you know learn when to grab learn how to get guys arms you know just I think part of it is like he's so busy trying to be fundamental that he's not like playing basketball it's like let's hoop a little bit like you know the NBA allows a lot of gray areas. And you got to learn, mm-hmm. you know, to play within them. Um, another thing for me is he needs to do a better job of changing the angles he takes as a roller. There are times where he rolls so tight to the opponent that he, like, uh, Nurk last night, multiple plays oh, where Nurkic didn't have to, like, move. Uh, you want you want the, the big man to have to, like, spread his full arms out and, like, tag you and tag the ball handler and tag you, and you kind of keep pulling him away as he plays mm-hmm. this game of tag. And if you roll too close to your ball handler, the big man, you know, he may not be angled perfectly, but he still takes up a lot of space, especially guys like Andre Drummond, especially guys like Nurkic. They're big bodies as well. If yeah. you don't make them move, if you don't make them make a decision, nothing's going to happen. Um, and it's okay if you're tighter to them if you're a lob threat. Because then you've got a quicker route to the rim, usually. You're not a lob threat. Stop playing like one, right? Stop thinking like a lob threat. Stop thinking like you should be getting the ball over the top in some of these situations. Go wide, you know, force the guy to make a decision. Be available for the wraparound passes, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that can help. Just Go ahead. Just kind of put yourself in a position where the defensive guy has to turn to look at you to see where you're at. Exactly. Because don't, don't try and don't make it so it's easy to be in his eyesight where he can look at the ball handler and look at you and see both and see if you're going to make a cutout, if you're going to fade away. Like, get it so he's got to turn and look and try to figure out where the heck you're at because the second that defender is trying to figure out where you're at, Cade's already at the rim. Right. Killian is going to get the layup. Like, that is something that it, it does annoy me. And now that, especially you, now with, that you mentioned that, really does annoy right, me. Especially with Cade. You know, Cade wants to process. Cade wants to solve a problem. And if, you, if you're if you rolling and you're not making the big man make a decision, you know, you're, you're basically just asking Cade to make a, a LeBron play, right? Make, make a, a tough guy athlete play. That's not mm-hmm. who he is. So you're not helping. He can do that on occasions, but it's not playing to his strengths. But he's, he's not an elite athlete, right? We, we, we know this. And that's okay because he's really good at decision making. The same way that guys like Luka Doncic are really good at decision making. But if there's no decision to make, you know, he's just got to make a tough floater. He's just got to make a, a, a kick out to a guy that has no advantage because nobody had to tag you. You know, you're just you're just not helping. Uh, another mm. thing for for Stu, he likes to roll for the pocket pass, but his first step is terrible. He's just not aggressive. Like, uh, you know, if you if you picture two guys coming down the lane, and um, you know the big man dropping, you need to be tr- convincing the big man that you're going to get behind him, right? You need to to get a, a heavy first step so that if the pocket pass comes, you're on the move you know, to the rim, and you can attack mm-hmm. a big man who's facing the wrong way. He's lingering, right? He's lingering kind of off the shoulder of the ball handler, a little bit behind the level of the ball handler way too often. And yes, you might technically be open for the pocket pass, but being open and creating advantage are two different things. Yeah, being being open and being in a position to take advantage is, I would say, a little bit different because, yeah, he could definitely get closer to the rim and kind of be more ready for a finish where it's one step and up. 
right. powerful it, finish ahead of your defender. If, yeah. if he takes a wider route and takes a, a much more aggressive first step, because, like, yes, he doesn't have a lot of lateral or vertical burst. We know that. <laughs> but he's better than what he's showing in a lot of... He's standing in some of these. While, like, Cade is taking the little crab dribbles, he's just kind of, like, standing there. It's like, no, pressure something. So take a wide route. Uh, be a, You know, make yourself available for the pocket pass. And then... You know, if the big man has to has to pay attention to a Cade or a Killian, guess what? You've got a, a, a shoulder to attack. You've got a lane to the rim. That's better for you. Uh, two two more little ones. We saw this on Cade's dunk last night. Um, I call him the John Teske seal because he did it all the time at Michigan. Um, we saw this from Aaron Baines, Zaza Pachulia. Uh, Plumley does mm-hmm. this a lot. You know, get your man in kind of a fronting position and just stand there and seal him off. You are 90,000 feet wide. <laughs> you are the Great Wall of China. Just stand there and seal a space in the rim for people to cut behind you or drive behind you. Um, you know, he yeah, can. Think... He does it when he sees it. Just, like, he needs to be more aware of those situations because there are a lot of them. Yeah, Baines is a great example of that because I can think of so many times where an Ishmith has gone by and yes. Baines is setting what is probably an illegal screen, but he's facing forward with his hands up. And it works out great. Xavier Simpson like, was not a was not a rim pressure threat at Michigan. Like he's five foot five and basically has to finish with a hook shot. But he got a lot of attacks off going to the rim. He and, and Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman at Michigan too, because John Teske was just like massive and sealing in the lane. Uh, more of those is going to help. Um, hmm. I think the last thing: take the elbow jumper, man. Like yes, we you can't shoot threes. We know it. Your elbow jumper is fine. And yes, you yeah. will draw some attention with that if you shoot 50% on the elbow jumpers. Take the open elbow jumpers. Yeah, that was something we talked about when he was coming into the league. Exactly. Was that we see his, his shot translating to a three-point shot just because of what he can do in terms of those elbow jumpers. And he's taken, like, five, I think, all year, if that. Like, he doesn't have that. terrible touch on those at all. He's got good no. touch. You know, his problem with the three-point shot is his, his mid-range shot is a two-motion shot, which is all arms. And it just doesn't, he doesn't have the power in the three, so he's got to rebuild that. In the meantime, your two motion shot works just fine from 18 feet. Shoot them. Yep. Yep. Looking at it, it's he's two for three on the year. It looks like in in those kind of those kind of spots. So yeah, I know there's not a whole lot of spacing on the floor in a Pistons game, but there's definitely been opportunities where he's got the ball to kick out and has the time to take the shot, but instead he's trying to you know set a dribble handoff or you know take a one dribble to the hole kind of thing. Just yeah. put it up, man. Yeah. You are a good enough um, shooter to make that shot. There's also just been a lot of times where, like, buddy, you're not using your shoulders and, like, hooking the ball, you know, over your shoulder. You're trying to, like, face guys up. and Like, use your use your book. Aaron Baines is a great example of a player he should be. Like, they have very similar deficiencies. Um, but if you play smart like Baines did and you just learn how to take up space and learn how to be big, um, you know, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit for Isaiah Stewart. And I think a lot of it is stuff that just, like, good coaching and some good practice reps, you know, within a month you can be – you know, making a significant improvement. He's currently the most detrimental player in the team on offense mm-hmm. just because he, he has stopped pressuring anything. So um, I want to take the same kind of discussion um, to Luca Garza, maybe a little shorter. Just ooh, like, what ooh, do you ooh, think ooh, Luca can do? Because we've seen now that if they're running their base drop, he can't do shit uh, defensively. But, like, what do you think they can do um, and what do you think he can work on from a processing standpoint? What do you think they can do schematically so that Luca's minutes on the floor aren't just a waste of time? So I think a lot of, you know, 
a lot of what Luca needs to improve on is all in regards to positioning. It's something that is going to be the thing that, you know, makes him an NBA rotation player or sends him to Europe or sends him to the G League, is being in the right right position, uh, especially defensively, to make up for his deficiencies um, in terms of foot speed, in terms of, you know, lateral agility, and honestly, in terms of vertical, <laughs> vertical abilities as well. Because uh, if he's not getting in the right spot to, you know, stop stop a guard drive, make sure that, uh, you know, they can't get an easy pass um, to a rolling big man. Like, he needs to figure out exactly where to be in pick-and-roll defense. Otherwise, he's going to get pick-and-rolled right out of the league the way Enos Cantor was for a minute. And that's something that every time I, I see him on the floor, it frustrates me. I know it's something that you could definitely see in some of the games where he's been, where he's played good. Um, have have been games where he's gotten better at it, gotten in front of people, uh, made the made the point guard make the hard pass. So, for me, it's just all about positioning, and that's going to be the only way you can overcome the deficiencies that he has ability wise on that end of the floor. Do you agree? Yeah, I think one of the things for me um, is that when he's on the floor, the Pistons can do a little bit of what the Bucks try to do with Brook Lopez. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the they tend to drop Stewart and uh, Kelly even in kind of a higher drop. Um, you know, more meet them at the free throw line and try and ride them, you know, two slides down towards the rim. I think with um, with Luca, you need to try and drop him and keep him basically in the restricted arc. He's mm-hmm. pretty good at the verticality thing. He's pretty good... Um, you know, he's, he's getting blocks when he's able to just kind of pivot and turn around the rim and, and trace the ball. Um, you know, it's when he's got to come up and meet people, you know, 10, 15 feet out that he's really struggling. So I think... I do want to note he has one block in the year officially, so he's getting pressures defensively. He's got more <laughs> blocks than that. He's, he's, he's statistically has I, He may not be getting credit year. for them, but he's had more blocks than that. Uh, I know I've clipped like three or four. Um but people may be getting credit for missed layups because it's Luca Garza, not or a deflection or yeah. something. Um, <laughs> you know, I just I think he's all right in those spaces, and so it's a question of how can you scheme around him, right? When he's if he's playing with someone like Killian and Hami and um, Josh and like with the better wings and guys who are willing to chase over, like he might have a little more success there because he can drop a little deeper if he's got actual pursuit. If you're playing him with Kojo and Frank. You know, neither one of them can stay attached when they come around screens. Yeah, <laughs> You're, he's gonna he's gonna get burned alive. There's nothing you can. He's do. gonna get eaten alive. Yeah. Um, I also think that you know they should consider running pick and rolls with him, um, not as the role man, but as like the corner man. Like, interesting. What what if Hami is your four and Hami is screening and rolling and being the athlete and Luca's just in the strong side or weak side corner? He's a corner shooter. Like he. You know, you don't have to play him as the big man offensively. If he's the corner shooter and maybe he's the guy that crashes the offensive glass, fine. I don't. Right? I don't hate it. You you don't <laughs> like, have to. He doesn't have to be the five on every possession offensively. Well, he does. He, just because he's the five doesn't mean he has to be the screener, right? Mm-hmm. If he sets, um, you know, if he sets a a flare screen for somebody or a curl screen for somebody and then flares to the the corner himself, yep, fine. Right, like have um, you know have Kojo or Killian or whoever is the point guard come out of the corner, come off a, a screen from him, run a screen with someone else, you know, a, a Lyles or somebody at the top of the arc, and have uh, Lyles rolling while Garza flares out to the corner. 
That's mm-hmm. totally functional offense that doesn't ask him to move, doesn't ask him to be a rim pressure threat. It feel, again, leaving the simple stuff on the table. This is the kind of stuff that most coaches should be able to do, and I feel like Casey's letting us down a bit in that. He and hasn't been and, nearly as creative. And again, I think, you know, I think it's unfair to Luca. You know, I've said it many times. I don't think he's an NBA player. If you're going to draft him, you have to, you know, you have to put him in positions to succeed because you're just making the kid look bad right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the pick and pop threes and stuff. Every now and then he hit, he's hitting enough of these jumpers that like he doesn't look terrible. He's his you know plus minus numbers aren't you know as atrocious as they sh- like probably should be because he's hitting enough jumpers. But like you're not running stuff for Luca to hit these jumpers. You're not you're not leveraging it enough. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd like to see that more. Um, and again, I'd like to see him in the deeper drop stuff because um, he can't yeah, hedge and he can't be at he can't be at the level. Um, but if you can find the right combinations to have him deep drop, obviously if there's a pick uh, and pop big on the other side, that's really hard. Uh, you can't really deep drop against a popping big. But anytime there's a hard rolling big, don't leave the paint. Just mm-hmm. just don't. Right? If you're leave him there and let him come to you. <laughs> if you're playing the the Jazz and Rudy Gobert wants to sit, you know, wants to set screens at the top of the key, fine. Put yeah. you know, play your three second game in the paint. You know, toe tap around the around the paint. Don't get your yourself called for a three second foul and let Killian chase. Mike Conley or, or Donovan Mitchell around the top of whatever, you know, it's, they'll probably get a few shots off. They'll probably hit a few mid range jumpers, you know, but as long as you're not getting rim pressure, as long as you're not getting lobbed on fine. Like even I think some of the things are, um, there are times where it doesn't feel like they've given up a lot of points when he's on the floor, but like the points they give up are like demoralizing wide open pull up threes and like, ridiculous lobs because he's just gotten roasted so if you can cut yeah. that out and just make people earn it like we can we can work with that we can deal with that yeah no 100 percent. there's anytime we get him away from the opportunity to get roasted by either a point guard uh taking him one-on-one or by a big man just going seven miles into the air the better <laughs> because that's the stuff where he just gets into trouble um so let's go one more guy here, um, and let's talk a little bit about Cade. Ooh, you're really... um, so he struggled a bit to shoot, but he had a great game uh, against Portland shooting the ball. Really efficient. And so I guess my question for you is, do you feel like he's been making the wrong processing reads? Do you think he's been relying too much on the shot? Do you think he's... he's um, do you want to see him change the shot profile because you think he's he's making the wrong decisions, um, or do you think that this I, is just kind of a it'll come when it comes and you you know keep pulling the trigger because it's what the right play is? Exactly, I think I think you nailed it at the end. Where he is someone who is talented as all hell. He has the ability to go up against like most of the most of the NBA, uh, and if he's not hitting it right now. He'll just, the more you give him the reps, the more you give him the time, the better that he will get uh, further on. And you saw it in that Portland game where he was comfortable hitting, you know, catch and shoot threes. He was comfortable going at the rim. And one of the things I kind of liked was there was a couple plays where he had him as uh, Killian as the main ball handler and, and he passed it off to Cade who gets a screen and just blows by, you know, the guy that he's got in the corner. So right. I think the more the ball is in his hands, the better. And while he started off the year a little tough, I think, especially with that Portland game, you can see how great of a scorer that he can be and how much he can do offensively that no one else on this team can really do. Like Jeremy on his best days definitely can. And Sadiq has had a time or two where he's had the opportunity to, but 
Cade, you'd see the talent every time he steps on the floor. And the more the ball is in his hands, and the more he's getting chances to figure out, you know, I can, you know, I can make this move against a great defender. Uh, I only need to do this against, you know, kind of a lesser defender. I need to be in this position when they're in this kind of a defense. Just the more he starts figuring those NBA-specific things out, the better it's going to be for his career and the Pistons as a whole. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I think he has gotten a few games where he's pulled the trigger one too many times. You know, he's gotten a little too reliant on the step back. Um, I do think, however, that like a lot of some of the complaints, like uh, Ben Gulker is, is one of the Detroit Bad Boys writers, um, and I know he's been really wanting to see K drive more. And I, I struggle with this because I don't, I just don't know how many more opportunities there are for him to drive without him yeah. just like burning himself out you know, on isolation plays, like, especially given the offense they're running, like he could do the Luka Doncic, James Harden thing of just like, you know, trying, trying to, um, you know, bully him, his, himself down the lane over and over and over. But like, I don't know if I want that for Cade right now. I don't, I feel like it's just going to be a lot of effort for nothing, especially when, again, we're saying we're not seeing pick and roll partnerships thrive Mm -hmm. you know there's not a lot of easy drives for him you know the stuff he did against um toronto um where he beat og and anobi and stuff i feel like that's just it's not something you want him to do all the time like if if that's the offense you're running all the time we're going to be mad that that's the offense you're running all the time right yeah and i mean that's something where this is where it's as much about killian hayes's development as it is um about Cade because of you have a Killian Hayes out there as well who can run the offense, who can take that pressure off him. That's going to be so much better for Cade's game. If you have a one-two punch where, you know, Cade can get a little bit of a breather, he can just sit in the corner for a little bit and be a catch-and-shoot, you know, three-point shooter, that'll be so much better for him and his growth. So I think they're definitely tied a little bit hand-in-hand hand, <clears throat> hand <laughs> hand for this uh, current Pistons roster All right, after he, the next draft. Not he, he just he just uh, took, took uh, a few minutes there while I was talking to change into his Michigan jer- or Michigan State, excuse me, I'm sorry, his Michigan State jersey, uh, so he can be ready for this game tonight. Can you give us five ready. minutes to talk about Killian before you run? Yes. I, I'm just <laughs> I'm curious. Down now. Uh, from from a next step standpoint for Killian, do you think he needs to take one this year, or do you think he needs to just focus on, you know, solidifying what he's been doing? Is there is there a big gap you need him to close right now? I mean, as with the rest of the Pistons team, it's not anything right now. This isn't something where you know, we need Killian to, you know, be the guy he's going to be, you know, to make that next step in this next year. We we have plenty of time. He's on a rookie well, contract. Let, let me put it this We're way. Not... Is, there, is there something you'd like to see him try and fail at right now? You know, would you like, to, would like see to see him see... try and, like, you know, get big men on switches and, like, try and do the, the switch, you know, attacking and isolating on switches? Is that something you, you're like, you know what, I really need to see him trying this now? Or are you like, you know what, pl- you know, continue doing the off-ball stuff, continue trying to just attack closeouts I would say I want to I want to see him be more comfortable as the primary primary ball handler because I think Cade is an amazing offensive player and such a great weapon but I kind of wanted to play a little bit off the ball as well and I want to make sure that there is someone else another guard who can take the lead in a pick and roll who can you know space the floor who can kind of move around uh with the ball in his hands and if Killian takes the second half of this well, second half <laughs> the the other three quarters of the year uh, to get more comfortable with the ball in his hands, I think that's going to be the most important thing um, for him to make the next step, probably sometime next year or down the road even after that. Uh, so I just want him to just continue to get comfortable. Go start attacking people more. You've seen it 
I think a lot, especially since he's came back from this injury, he's had a couple of uh, really good address aggressive drives that have led to layups and or you know easy kick out threes. Uh, you know, I just want more of that. I want more of him with the ball in his hands, attacking the rim, you know, getting it out, kicking it out to teammates, and kind of being that key cog in the offense that he still hasn't quite figured out just yet. Yeah, I think for you know for me personally, I think the flashes we keep seeing are exactly the flashes I want to see. Right, like a couple a couple games ago, probably a couple weeks ago, there were a couple plays where like he rejected a screen and raced somebody baseline. And he didn't go up for a reverse, and he kicked mm-hmm. it out. And people were like, "Ah, oh, go up for the reverse." And I was like, "No, no, no." The baby step was <laughs> him, you know, rejecting a screen and racing somebody baseline. That was a big step. And like the last two games, I think two games in a row now, he's drawn a foul going up for somebody, you know, against somebody on a reverse. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. these are to me personally the exact baby steps. I, you know. Each time he's he's learning a little bit, he's finding a little windows. I think we're seeing. I think you know. I'm I'm wondering where the shooting's going to end up. Um, you know, ever since the thumb injury, he's not been quite the same uh, as a shooter. He's still he's still hitting a couple. You know, the shot still looks okay. I just think he's touching his touch is just a little bit off, and I don't know if he's quite as aggressive. But um, I'm just personally, I don't want him to push anything right now because I think he's doing a really great job of just learning from you know, the flow of the game that he's seeing, like push it a little more defensively, maybe, you know, keep trying mm-hmm. to give the energy there and then, you know, just run the offense and, and, you know, just do what you're comfortable at. And hopefully the window of what you're comfortable with keeps growing. You know, I, I do kind of think for Cade, I want to see him push a little more because I think that's kind of how he learns and how he, um, you know, what he's ready for is to, is to mm-hmm. make big mistakes and have big successes. And I think for Killian, we're seeing maybe he, he, you know, grows a little more comfortably when he's not making, you know, big mistakes and big attempts. And he's just kind of letting these things, you know, these windows slowly grow on him. Mm-hmm. All right. That was the last thing I had on my list. That's a lie. There's like four other things on the list, but I got to let you go. Things on this list. It's a never ending list. <laughs> I got I to gotta let you go and root on your Spartans. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see uh, people hopefully sometime around this time next week. <laughs> Gabe Brown skying for a dunk. Sorry. Oh, hold on. Continue the outro. Oh, oh, no, no, no. It just happened on my screen over here. So (laughs) two monitors, baby. (laughs) I I had to watch the playthrough. All right. Uh, So we'll see people, I think, next week. Your schedule is stabilizing now, right? So uh, Webster was uh, was on uh, random shift times for a long time there. (laughs) I think I have have one more week of... One more week. One more week of the chaos? All right. And then yep. we get on the nine to fives, and I actually get to know when you're going to be available on a regular basis. Okay, a little bit better hosting schedule, I believe, moving forward. <laughs> well, we look forward to that. Look forward to a couple more games this week, and uh, I think there's, I think we got two more road games left on this West Coast trip. Or are they done? I should, I should look at that quick before I, we go. I think they're oh, done. There's a very angry Tom Izzo. There is very angry you're a, elf. You're uh, just a couple seconds behind me because I get to yeah. see this right before it happens. Come on, what game is this? Uh, so there's, a, there's still a Phoenix, Phoenix game and then we're home okay so one more uh, annoying West Coast game and then Jake can actually go to bed on time okay <laughs> yeah one more 10 o'clock game on a Tuesday night or on a oh, Thursday night oh man I, I am on four hours of sleep today it's bad it's real bad yeah uh, alright we'll see everybody next week so sounds good go green go green